Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Hold your Bible to heaven with me and say thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free, quicken me according to the word, change me from glory to glory, and I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again, in Jesus' name, amen, praise God. So have you come to be challenged this morning? Have you come to be changed this morning? I pray that you don't leave disappointed. We're talking about the year of our Lord, the year of the Lord, which is really the year of Jubilee, and really we designate our last Sunday of the month, Special Healing Sunday. But we pray for the sick all the time. Every service, praise God, it doesn't really matter. But specifically, you know, we've called it Special Healing Sunday to focus more and concentrate more on the ministry of Jesus, which was to save the lost, heal the sick, and set the captives free. All of our young, young people, you're dismissed to go to your respective classes. We love you. We thank the Lord for each and every one of you. And you're a blessing. Amen. Thank God for young people that are being taught the truth of God's word from a young age. Something I wish I would have been taught when I was a young person. And not just religious tradition, but truly taught the word of the living God. To taught the way of life. To taught, be taught redemption that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Look, Luke's, Luke's gospel with me. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. This is from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Let's read these verses together. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach or proclaim good news to the poor. He hath sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and... Recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is, has been fulfilled in your hearing. Imagine that statement. They've heard this probably preached and taught and read many times, but he says, Today, is a different day. This scripture has now been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him. Make note of that. And marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? We're going to expound on this verse by verse. Notice in verse 14 how it says that Jesus returned to the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report went about him 
went out through all the surrounding country that was round about him. We all know about Jesus's leaving his hometown, going to see John the Baptist, being baptized in water and in the power of the Holy Spirit when he came up out of the water. We all know about he went to the wilderness where he was tempted of the devil 40 days and 40 nights where he fasted and prayed and, and then was tempted. And he addressed the enemy with the words, it is written, it is written, it is written. Every challenge in spirit, soul, and body. First the body, then the soul, then the spirit. He overcame it with the words, it is written, it is written, it is written. But from there, he didn't go back home to Nazareth. He was in all the villages around Galilee, Capernaum and some other places. And he was preaching and teaching the gospel. So for some months, he was away from his hometown of Nazareth, out there ministering, of course, by the power of the Spirit and fulfilling the call that was upon his life. Many people were delivered, set free from demon oppression, sickness, disease, heartache, pain. I mean, the list goes on and on. But as a result, he became very popular. You see, he left Nazareth as just a homeboy from Nazareth. But then he came back, and when he came back, he came back as a celebrity. His fame was spread throughout all of Galilee because of all the wonderful things that he had done. Now look at verse 15. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. What does that mean? Everywhere he went throughout Galilee, he would go into the synagogue and he would begin to teach, preach, and heal. Those were the three things that Jesus did everywhere he went, all the synagogues. But notice, he was there in the synagogues no matter where he was. What example is he setting for us? He believes in the fellowship of saints. He believes in people gathering together just like we're gathering together here this morning. And I'm sure that church and the synagogue was no different than churches today with regard to people. Because how many know that the old timers said folks is folks? People are people, right? I'm sure people came to church back then in the synagogue for different reasons just like people do today. And I'm sure there were those that were there mainly out of obligation because it's the Sabbath day, so we need to be there. And they went in there with an attitude that says, I just need to be here out of obligation, out of duty, and whatever. I just got to do it. Or my mom made me go, twisted my arm, etc., etc., and that's why I'm there. I'm sure there were there, there, those that were curiosity seekers as well. You know, let's really see what's going on. I remember when I first came here, like 38, we just celebrated 38 years of ministry on August the 25th. So 38 years ago when I first came here, I was called the young whippersnapper. No, I'm, and let me correct that, the little whippersnapper. And uh, people had to come out and find out what I was about and, and that sort of thing and where I came from and what I know and, and this, that, the other thing. And so they came as curiosity seekers, finding out what's going on. And then, of course, you know, there are those that were, should I say, disagreeable, I'm sure, that were in the crowd. You get a crowd of people anywhere, I guarantee you, you'll find people that are disagreeable. True? Just don't look at me that way. Just don't say that. Just don't do this and whatever. Well, none of that kept Jesus out of the synagogue. He knew that folks is folks, people are people, and there's going to be all kind of different backgrounds with regard to people that are there. So he went there with one goal in mind, to preach, to teach, and let them know the truth. He came to bear witness to the truth, for he is the truth, and he was there in the synagogues. He sets an example for us. We need to gather together, join ourselves together, and hear what thus saith the Lord. I know about you, but I believe in the teaching ministry because people perish for lack of knowledge. And we need to know the Word of God because it's knowing the truth that releases people or sets them free.
Okay, so that's what Jesus did. Look at verses 16 and 17. And he came to Nazareth where he grew up, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So now we see him in the synagogue. He stands up to read the scripture and normally what they would do then sit down and expound the teaching on the scriptures. So he is now famous because of all the miracles that he did. And he actually says to them, the time's going to come when you're going to say to me, the miracles that you perform elsewhere, perform here. Look at verses 23 and 24. And he said to them, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What have we heard? What we have heard you, what you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. You look at Mark's rendition of that and you find the same thing to be true. He did mighty works everywhere out throughout all of Galilee. Signs, wonders, miracles took place. Tremendous workings of God's almighty power was wrought by his hands, Mark said. But when he came to his hometown of Nazareth, it went on to say that he could there do no mighty work because of their unbelief. And what was their unbelief based on? Remember, isn't this Joseph's son? Don't we know his mother? Don't we know his sisters and brothers? Whence had this man these powers and these abilities? And they didn't believe in him. And so because of their unbelief, he could there do no mighty work. He said, the time's going to come when you're going to say this, heal yourself. All the works that you did elsewhere do here as well. But because of the unbelief, he was not able to do the things that God wanted to be done among those people in his, people in his hometown of Nazareth. So they're the ones that were denied the miraculous. Why? Because of their unbelief. And you know, the same thing could be true today for all of us. We need to believe God. As the song said, trust God. He has never failed us. He's not about to fail us. He's not going to fail us. There's no need to worry. Jesus said, don't even be concerned about what you're going to eat, drink, or what you're going to wear, what you're going to put on. None of that has to be your concern. Because God clothes the grass of the field, the flower, the, the the birds that are in the air, he feeds them, takes care of them. You don't need to be concerned about your well-being because you've got a loving Heavenly Father who loves you, cares for you, will provide for you, will meet your need, will make a way where there is no way, and to do all that is necessary to bring you to a place of success. Why? Because you represent him. You are his ambassador here upon this earth. An ambassador is a representative of the highest order. And you've come from glory. You might be living here on this earth, but your citizenship is in glory. It's in heaven. You're representing him here upon this earth. And the whole government of heaven is behind you and behind me. Everywhere we go, we are not alone. Jehovah Shammah is ever present with us. Everywhere we go to defend us, to fight for us, to protect us, to care for us. So there's nothing to be concerned about according to Jesus. Praise God. So... He's now at Nazareth, he's preaching, and he begins to share an important truth. Look at verse 18 and the first part, A. I call it part A. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. But notice the first part. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, in our Western culture, that may not mean a whole lot. 
But he is quoting Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, and I'm sure they heard this all the time, in reference to Isaiah saying, as a prophet, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. But now there's Jesus there in the synagogue, and he is saying to them, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears, because you see, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The anointing of God, because he hath anointed me. The word anointed there, Meshiach in the, in the Hebrew, and what it actually means is, the anointed one or the Messiah. What he was actually saying to them in that synagogue in Nazareth where he grew up, where, all they, where they all knew him was, I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. I am the God sent one. And I'm right here in the midst of you. That scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. How many of us can say that? Imagine that. You have heard it with your own ears. I am the Messiah. I've been sent by heaven, from heaven above. And I've come here. To preach what? Good news. Now, you have to remember this. John the Baptist was big during that time. Not, not among the religious, the Pharisees and the scribes and all that. But among the people. The people went out to see John the Baptist. And they got baptized in water. Waters of repentance. And they would hold him in high esteem. And many said, could this be the Messiah? Many said, could this be the one that would come? Like the Elijah who was to come and all that. And so they had a lot of thoughts about John the Baptist. But all of a sudden, remember what Jesus said, I'm not worthy to unloose his shoelaces. You got to follow him. And now we see a shift taking place. All the eyes are beginning to focus on Jesus. Could he be the Messiah? Could he be the one who was sent? Is he truly the anointed one from heaven above? Is he God incarnate, manifested in the flesh? And so all that begins to Focus on him. He gets all the attention. Look at verse 21. Imagine this. He began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You need look no further. Just focus your eyes on me. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. And I'm here to proclaim not my message, but the message that the Father gave me to speak to you. So can you imagine being those select individuals there in that synagogue at that moment in history? When the God-man was sent right there in his hometown in that gathering of people. And right before their very eyes they were looking at Jehovah God manifested in the flesh. And they didn't even know it. Imagine that. Well, our eyes have to be open. Now, when it comes to anointing, once again, our Western culture is somewhat different. We install people to high positions and all that, whether it's a president or a political office. And we don't normally get a cruise of oil and pour oil on their head. We just have a ceremony and we speak some words and say some things and all that. But back then, you see, if you were set apart to be in the office of a prophet, there was an anointing that came upon you. If you were set apart to be a priest, there was an anointing that would come upon you. Remember when Samuel anointed the king, Saul, and then King David? Remember, David was anointed to be the king? And he took the cruise of oil, put it on top of his head, and so on and so forth. And that was representative of the power of the Holy Spirit of God imparting to an individual powers and abilities from on high, equipping that person to stand in a particular office that God had called him to, to carry out a life mission upon the earth, not in his own strength, not in his own power, not in his own ability, but the power of the Most High God would be upon him. And it would be evident in that person's life. 
And we see that manifesting in these individuals, the prophet, the priest, and the king. Now here, Jesus said, the anointing is upon me. And this is the most powerful anointing ever to manifest on any human being on the planet. He did not give the spirit by measure to Jesus. He gave him the spirit without measure. So the full manifestation of the anointing, the power, the equipping, the divine enablement and ability of God fell upon and rested upon the Lord Jesus Christ. As Acts 10.38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing what? Good. Healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. You could almost say that this was like the sound of the trumpet. This was like the sound or the alarm that says, let's get ready for war. Let's get ready for a battle. Praise God. It's time because the anointing of God in full measure has come upon the Messiah. And wherever the Messiah goes, he's going to wreak havoc with the kingdom of darkness. He's going to destroy the works of the devil. For that reason was he sent. And so when Jesus walked upon this earth, everywhere he went, he ministered life to people. Everywhere he went, he destroyed the works of Satan. And the works of darkness. Everywhere he went, he ministered life to individuals that were in need. No matter what their need was, he provided that need. And so he had a powerful anointing upon him. Look at verse 18. Now and look at for, uh, the second part, B. Now he, he, he begins to share with us what his commission is. He has a life mission that God sent him to fulfill. And as he said himself before he went back to glory... Father, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now, give me the glory that I had with you before I left the glory world to come here to the earth. So Jesus had a life mission to carry out. What's that got to do with me? We need to look at these particular statements carefully. Why? Because his mission is our mission. His mission is our mission. When he gave the great commission, it was a duplicate of his mission. So in other words, the works I'm doing, I'm going to send you out to do as well. You said that was just for the 11 that were there or the 12. No, 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 no. Anyone who believes on me, he said, cast out devils, speak with new tongues, take up serpents. You drink anything will hurt you. Lay your hands on the sick that they may recover. And they went forth and they went everywhere and the spirit of God worked with them and confirmed the word with signs following. So in other words, the great commission is for every individual person. Why? You are a priest unto Almighty God. And as a priest before God, you know, you have a responsibility just like I do. On Wednesday nights, I was talking about worship, our, our ministry of worship to the Lord. Number one, the priesthood has ended. There is no longer any earthly priesthood. The veil of the temple was ripped in two. The curtain is open. The glory cloud left went back to heaven. All the rituals that were taking place in Judaism have ceased. The Old Testament ceased in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. There's no longer a priesthood. There are no longer priests offering up sacrifices like they used to because there's no Shekinah glory that's there for 2,000 years. And since the priesthood is gone because of the Le Levitical priesthood, there's a new priesthood. And the priest, the high priest of the new priesthood is Jesus, who is at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the high priest of our confession. He's the high priest and we are the priests that operate and function in the area of the priesthood to do what? Offer up praises to God. Number one, minister to Him. 
We are to minister to Him. Our first and foremost ministry is to the living God. Why? Because when there's an upflow, you see, of praise, worship, and communion to the Lord, there comes an inflow into our lives. An inflow of grace, mercy, and power. They that wait upon the Lord will exchange their strength. And that power that comes into us enables us to have an outflow. An outflow of life. A river of life flowing out from me. That makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors and sets the captives free. There's a river of life. Glory and the anointing flowing out of every single one of us. Because you get those three things. If there's an upflow, there'll be an inflow. And with an inflow, there's an outflow. Hallelujah. So if we want to be effective every single day in ministering life to people, the glory of God to people, the anointing of God to people, let there be an upflow of praise, worship, and communion with the living God. So that there is an inflow in your life, in my life, of grace, mercy, and power. And that outflow will just manifest through each and every one of us to touch the hearts and lives of the people that we minister to every single day of our lives, everywhere we go. Praise God. So the first thing he says is what? He's been anointed to do what? Preach good news to the poor. That's number one on his agenda. He was anointed from on high. And you talk about a specific thing that God has called him to do. Remember, for 4,000 years, what did man do? Suffered. Under the hand of the enemy. Persecution. Slavery. I mean, the list goes on and on. It took 4,000 years to get Jesus here. And when he came here, praise God, he came here on a mission. It's time for people to hear. Are you ready for some good news? Good news to whom? To the poor. Now, is he talking about specifically those that are literally poor financially only? Or is he talking about poor in spirit as well? I believe he's talking to both. And let me sh share with you why. Because you see, the poor that are poor financially, they've got nothing to lose. And when the gospel message is preached to them, they got everything to gain. They don't trust in uncertain riches because they don't have any. They're not putting all their eggs in one basket, the, all the bank accounts that they have, and any of that. No. Actually, their ears are open because they want to hear a message of hope. They want to hear someone say, you may be down now, but God's going to lift you up in a moment. I've got some good news for you, praise God. There's coming a time in your life that God is going to take you up out of your miry clay. He's going to put your feet on solid ground. And He is going to empower you to be an influence in the world that you live in. And it doesn't matter how much money you have. You know why? He knows how to get money from a fish's mouth. You know why? He can tell you where to drop your nets and you'll bring up the water. I mean, the fish out of the water. Or He can tell you get your cruise of oil and just fill all the vessels you can find in the neighborhood. And He'll provide for your every need. He's still Jehovah Jireh. He'll multiply your loaves and your fishes. Hallelujah. That Italian bread never smelled better. I'll tell you right now. Can you say amen to all that? But what, then what about, the, what about those that are poor in spirit? You see, it doesn't take much for these people because they're already humbled. They're humbled by their social status. And so their ears are wide open to hear the message of gospel. But what about the rich? The reason why I say it's also for, for the, those that are not just poor in spirit but also financially poor, is because the rich trust in uncertain riches. Did Jesus not say to the man who said to him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, well, you know the commandments. 
Love the Lord your God with the hearts, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, yeah, I've done that since I've been a youth. He said, well, you like one thing. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. He turned around and walked away. Sadness in his heart. Why? He was wealthy. He had much. And what did Jesus say to his disciples? It's harder for a rich man, for a camel to go through, as it is for a rich man to get into heaven as a camel to go through eye of a needle. We would say an elephant to go through an eye of a needle. Because that was their largest animal. Maybe a giraffe. I don't know. Whatever. What, did he, what was he saying? Rich people focus on one thing. Back then in particular, because you see, understand the, the culture. Back then, if you were a Jewish person that was wealthy, you were rich, you were under the favor of God. The favor of God was upon you. The blessing of God was upon you. He's the one that added that to your life and your lifestyle and all that and so on. And so the scribes and the Pharisees were wealthy people and they boasted the fact that they were. And you see, God loved them. God favored them. Guess what? The message that Jesus brought to them was not favorable to them. No, they were very angry. They were very upset. And to show you that's what he's talking about, remember the disciples said to him, well, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? And Jesus said, with man, that's impossible. Whether you're poor or whether you're rich. But with God, all things are possible. So you see, when you preach the gospel to the poor, you've got a captive audience. But when the rich hear it, oh, they get flustered. They get upset and it, back then and they get angry over it because you see, they're trusting in their riches. Rich or poor, you can't save yourself. All the money, all the silver, the gold, the cattle on a thousand hills could never save a human being. But there's blood. Oh, there's blood. The blood of Jesus is what saves mankind. Hallelujah. Number two, second plank of his platform. He came to do what? Heal the broken hearted. People's whose hearts have been broken for various reasons. Let us not forget this. You can have an audience with people that are out there when you know that they're poor or humble in their heart and they're ready to receive the preaching or teaching of the gospel. You can lead them down the path, the Roman path to salvation. Those have been broken hearted. They need to hear some good news. What's good news to a broken hearted person? Oh, there's great news for a broken-hearted person. We'll get to that in just a moment. But look at Psalm 34, verse 18, NIV version of the Bible. The Lord is close to the broken-hearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Look at Psalm 147, verse 3. What it says, he heals the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. What's good news to a broken-hearted person? You don't have to stay that way any longer. It might be because of rejection. It might be because of abuse. And there are those that have grown up in households where they have been abused emotionally, mentally, physically, even some sexually. You might be brokenhearted because of the grief that you experience over the death of a loved one. It could be a broken relationship, but whatever the situation might be that's caused brokenheartedness in your life, there is good news. Jesus didn't come to establish what they wanted. They wanted them to establish a kingdom right now, give them political powers and all that. He goes, no, I came to speak to the hearts of people everywhere. Whether they're rich, whether they're poor, or they're brokenhearted, I've come with a message that will penetrate their very hearts. And anyone who's got a broken heart here today, I've got good news for you. He heals the broken heart. He binds up every wound. And we know how devastating that can be. So no matter where you've come from, what you're going through, what you've experienced in your life, 
I want you to know that there's a healer in the house. Hallelujah. Thank God. He'll heal the broken heart. He'll bind up your wound. Number three, deliverance to the captives. Deliverance to the captives. Now, Jesus came to set people free no matter what it is that they've been bound to. Look at the 10. I, this is a top 10 list. I just found this top 10 list. So I said, let me just throw that out there. You ready? Are you sure you're ready? Because look at number one. Top 10 list of addictions. Coffee. Did you have your coffee and donut this morning? It doesn't mean you're addicted to it, but that's one thing I can never be addicted to. I was about four or five, four or five years old, maybe four. I think it was about four years old, something, something around there. My grandmother gave me a cup of what she said was coffee. And... It really wasn't just plain old coffee. It was so thick that the spoon stood straight up in the middle and didn't even fall over to either side. I took one sip of that and I've never touched a sip of coffee in 65 years, 61 years. That was the end of it. So I'm not addicted to coffee. Coke's another thing, but. Gambling, number two. Anger, food, the internet, sex, alcohol, drugs, nicotine, work. And those are just to name a few. Jesus was anointed, Acts 10.38, to do what? Heal all that were oppressed. Who oppressed them? The devil. In this verse, he's talking about the fact that he has come to release anyone that's bound by anything. You don't have to be bound any longer, whether it's coffee, whether it's nicotine, whether it's alcohol, whether it's pornography, no matter what it might be, whether it's anger, whether it's a food addiction. Have you seen some of these shows with these addictions that people have? This one lady had an addiction to aerosol spray and sprayed it in her mouth every single day. And it's hard to imagine. One was eating foam. Eating foam. One was eating um, metals. It was unbelievable what these people, what these people do. You, how many of you know that that's a demonic spirit? That is a demon's force behind that to create that desire in people's lives. And boy, we can really meddle right here with a lot of different things that the enemy has done to really destroy people's lives. But anyhow, Jesus came to do what? Deliver anyone of any addiction or any kind of captivity that they might have. So who the sun sets free is free indeed. Next one. Recovery of sight to the blind. Recovery of sight to the blind. Here. This is not just speaking about the physically blind. But it's also speaking about the spiritually blind. Jesus came so that people who were blind physically could see both. Could see physically and spiritually. And those that were blinded spiritually can also have their eyes open to see. So look at the verses that uh, attest to this. Look in the book of Luke's gospel, chapter 7, verses 20 through 22. Here, John the Baptist, wonderful man of God, no one greater, according to Jesus, since no one than him. But when the, man, when the men were come unto him, they said, John the Baptist had sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Imagine that statement falling from the lips of John the Baptist. Who baptized him in water, who saw the Spirit of God fall upon him, who said, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes, and yet, is he really the Messiah? And why is he saying this? Because he's in prison. 
Because he's out of this environment of people of like precious faith. And he's suffering there. He, the devil's playing havoc with his mind. He doesn't really know. And now he's doubting his own experience. He's doubting what took place. And so he says, go and send him. Find out. And in that same hour, he cured many of, of, their, of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits. And unto many that were blind, he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said to them, go your way. Tell John what things you have seen and heard. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor, he, the, the gospel is preached. Notice the same commission. So he's talking about literally. The blind literally saw. The lepers were literally healed in their bodies. The lame that couldn't walk are walking physically now. The lepers that were dying of leprosy, they're cleansed. That's all physical. But look at the next. Look in John's gospel here in chapter 9. And Jesus said to them, for judgment I came into this world that they which see not might see. And that they which see might be made blind. He came to open up our eyes spiritually. He came to open up our eyes physically. This was his life mission. My question is, did he fulfill it? Did he fulfill the life mission that the Father gave him to do? He sure did. And when he came to this earth, he healed the blind, the lepers, cleansed them, raised the dead. It's, it goes on and on. I love Matthew 15 when it says they brought him up on the mountaintop. Those who were blind, deaf, dumb, maimed. And they saw the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the, the lame, the maimed to be made whole, the lame to walk, and etc. But even body parts that were removed were healed by him and made whole or recreated by him. What a savior. I don't know what more God could possibly do to take his heart out of his chest and just laid out before us and let us all know that this great commission is not about po politics. It's not about buildings. It's not about anything that's dealing with anything apart from the human heart. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. You have a shattered dream this morning. He's got an answer for that shattered dream. I want you to know he's got peace of mind for you. He's got a plan for you that goes beyond your hurt right now. He will lift you up. He will raise you up. He'll put your feet on solid ground. He's going to give you direction for your life. He's going to show you the way that you can walk in it. Why? Because he loves you with all of his being. He poured himself out and loved you. Look at the last one. Liberate the bruised. And boy, do we need to hear this message today. This is a reference to social oppression caused by an unjust exercise of power. We live in a society all around the world, not just in America, where there's prejudices, where there's racism, where there's control, where there's dictatorships. Isn't this true? You think about women and how they were oppressed, even in our country. Other countries, they're still oppressed. But in our country, how there was oppression as far as the women were concerned. They had no rights and privileges. They weren't allowed to vote. They weren't allowed to do this. They weren't allowed to do that. They were viewed as lesser class citizens. Jesus came to let you know that's not the way it is. I brought her from the side of Adam to make her equal with him. And that's all there is to it. He came to proclaim that message to the world so that everybody can get a hold of it and walk in the light of it. Then you got any group of people where there's racism and you think about the Jews in Germany and how they were mistreated you think about uh, African Americans in our country right here not too many years ago and still we're, we're warring with that are we not is there any place for it does God want it no Jesus came to give a message of what to let my people go free and let them serve me and worship me the Jews even in Egypt 
were under oppression, slavery in Egypt. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. All that is people listening to demonic influences and demon powers to, to do what? To give us an understanding of people the way he sees them. The way he sees them. It doesn't matter what ethnicity we are. It doesn't matter what our gender is. It doesn't matter what our social status is. It doesn't matter what our color is. You heard the song, red, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Is that true or is that just a song? Oh, beloved, it is absolute truth. And he came to shout it from the mountaintops. Let's put an end to all this prejudice, racism, and so on and so forth. And let my people serve me as one. Bring unity. Amen. Inequality. Thank God for those that have stood for, for these freedoms. Amen. And awakened us. Finally, look at verse 19. Man, if you didn't bring your shouting clothes, I'll wait a few minutes while you go home. Come back and get... You ready to shout? To proclaim the year of Jubilee or the Lord's favor. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verses, let's read those verses 1 and 2. The Spirit, this is what he quoted, of the Lord God is upon me. Why? Because he hath anointed me to build buildings in Egypt. To build buildings in Israel. To take away the uh, temple, uh, the, the, um, <laughs> to prepare the temple. No. He anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to those that are captives or bound by anything. To open prison doors to them that are bound. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's the year of Jubilee. And notice, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Why did Jesus leave out the day of vengeance of our God? When he quoted that verse of scripture. Because that day hasn't come yet. We're not living in the day of vengeance. We're living in the day of God's favor. We're under the favor of God right now. And the day of vengeance is coming. You don't want to be around for that. As a matter of fact, those that say that they're going to go through the tribulation, have a great time. The year of Jubilee was celebrated every 50 years when anyone that ever lost anything through indebtedness, including if their land was sold, it would go back to their ancestral possession. Everything that they lost, everything that was taken from them is given back to them every 50 years. And it was a time to celebrate. Would it not be for you? Anything that you lost, you're indebted, you're free, all your debt free, praise God, and you get all your property back. Well, that was only a type and a shadow of the greatest liberation movement that would ever take place upon this planet called Earth. See, that was every 50 years. And Jesus has now become our Jubilee. Jesus has now become the one who went to the devil's camp. He got everything that we lost. And he says, now it's mine. And I'm giving it back to you so that you can use it to wreak havoc with the kingdom of darkness yourself. Where you can walk in victory. 
We're not waiting. Someone says, we're going to, if we don't get it this year, it's the year of Jubilee. It's going to be over. No, it's not. Jesus is our Jubilee. It all pointed to Him. Jesus came. Jesus suffered. Jesus died. He was raised up from the dead. He's alive right now. He bought our ransom. He put His blood on the altar. He's our high priest. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's waiting for us to say something so He can be the high priest of our confession. Jesus, You're my Jubilee. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. You've set me free. I'm free from coffee addiction. I am free from alcohol addiction. I'm free from nicotine addiction. I'm free from a food addiction. A, a porno, porno, pornography addiction. I'm free from anything. Because you set me free. I'm free from the power of sickness, sin, disease, mental anguish. I am free from brokenheartedness. Praise God. Hallelujah. Here you want some needle and thread? Psalm 147 verse 3. Psalm 34 verse 18. Let him take it and bind up your wounds. He's waiting for us to start saying some things so we can be the high priest of our confession. Why? He didn't die and the death that he died to be raised from the dead to sit there and just say, I did all that for them. And look, they're bound by this. They're bound by that. They're afflicted by this. They're afflicted by that. My goodness, I did this all for them. And here the enemy's running all over them. It's time to rise up, saints of God. Look at John 8, 31, 32. Jesus said these beautiful verses of Scripture. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. You shall know the truth. You shall know the truth. You will enter into the truth. You'll become one with the truth. You've heard me say this before. That word epignosis is not talking about that you surfacely know somebody. You know someone, something. Why? Because you've experienced it. This is the deepest way you can know someone or something. Electricity, you may go to school and become an electrician. But guess what? Just because you know book smart, you're book smart about electricity, it doesn't mean that. It's when you stick your fingers in the socket and all of a sudden you try to, you, know, you think you're an electrician, but all of a sudden electricity zaps you, your hair goes in every direction that you can imagine. That's knowing electricity. You think you know that, that uh, piece of pastry that you make, that you bake, you know all the ingredients and all the, everything that goes in it? I guarantee you, you, know, you may know all the material, all the, all the uh, ingredients, and put it in the oven and pull, come out of the oven, and there it is sitting on your table. I walk in and taste it. I know it. You don't. You see the difference? When he said you shall know the truth, know it, enter into it, experience it, grab a hold of it. It becomes a part of you. And what will the truth that you know do? Oh, make you free. Make you free. Make you free. Oh, liberate you. Deliver you. And guess what? This was such an exciting message. At the beginning of this message, this is still Jesus preaching in the synagogue. At the beginning of the message, what did they say? What gracious words that fell from his lips. And oh, they marveled at this is Joseph's son. How did he get all this power? How is he doing all these different things? Well, listen to this. Look at, the, look at verses 28 to 30. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with joy and excitement and enthusiasm. What were they filled with? Wrath. And rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. 
I know when I first came here 38 years ago, my messages may have been a little bit like, you know, just starting out and all that. But you, 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 you just bear with me. You were so kind, so courteous, and listened to the things that I had to say. But I don't think anyone of you want to take me over to the river and throw me in the river. <laughs> he just preached the most phenomenal message that you could possibly hear as far as liberating people that are bound Number one, their spiritual need to make them whole spiritually so they can have the eternity with him in glory. To liberate them from emotional stress and powers that would come against them through oppression and depression and so on. To heal their broken heart. To open up their blind eyes physically or even, even uh, spiritually to open them up so that they can see it. To provide for their every need. If they're poor, he'll provide for your need. They just heard this fantastic, marvelous message and they also knew of all the works that he did. And they wanted to reward him by throwing him off the brow of the hill and kill him. What spirit was behind that? Demonic influences. Beloved, Jesus is here today. He has not changed yesterday, today, or forever. And he once preached from his pulpits throughout this entire land and entire world that this is his mission. And we are commissioned to do what he did, continue his works, and let people know. If you're poor, you don't have to be poor anymore. Are you captive? You can be set free. Are you broken hearted? He'll bind up your every wound. Are you blind? You can see again. If you're deaf, you can hear again, spiritually and physically. Praise God. It's the year of Jubilee. It's time to stand up and celebrate. Let's do that. Let's stand up and celebrate. It's the year of Jubilee. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence, to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and I'll accept you 
and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.